Welcome to the Breaking into Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. Today is our first episode, where we sit down with Albie Brown to learn more about why he decided not to go to college, how he became a software engineer, and how he's taught hundreds of people to become engineers through the school he started called Telegraph Academy. He shares how he didn't let money or rejection stop him from acquiring a new skill, the importance of mentorship, and how his relationship with his mother led him to become the man he is today. Check it out. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer and Timor Meister, and this is the Breaking Into Startups podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today, it's Sunday morning. Uh, a lot of people are out getting brunch, but we're here at Telegraph Academy with a very special guest about to talk on how to break into startups. Yeah, and today we have a super special guest, Albie Brown, who is a co-founder of Telegraph Academy. Before that, he was a Hack Reactor grad and even before that, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's uh, done a lot of business ventures, grew up in Berkeley. So kind of before we uh, jump into your life story, tell us a bit where you got started and uh, what was your childhood like? Yeah, definitely. First and foremost, thank you guys for having me on the show. You know, I've been seeing you guys grind for a very, very long time, and it's great to see your dreams kind of come into fruition. So, I mean, I, I grew up in Berkeley, California, about 15 minutes away from San Francisco. It's funny when you talk to people from outside of the Bay Area, all they really know of is SF. And so you know, 15 minutes away, we have really good food. We were the first people to start organic and artisan. So Berkeley CA, look it up. But, you know, born and raised 25 years there. It's very, very close to Oakland, which, you know, holds my heart as well. A new tech hub that's coming up. As a kid, I went from public school to private school, back to public school. When it came to high school, you know, uh, grew up in a single family home with my mom and my aunt. They really put a lot of a lot of work towards making me the the man I am today. And you know, like I was saying before we started the podcast, coming up, nobody even really knew what tech was. Nobody even really knew what a startup was. When did that statement even mm-hmm. like start? Right, this is a startup. Now everything is a startup, right? And we didn't really see Silicon Valley or even San Francisco as one of the places that was going to be the new like hub. You know, seeing these changes over the last fifteen years have been like pretty incredible. You know, when I was in high school, I took a couple of computer science classes and never really felt it was for me. I don't know if you guys have taken any come up, but it was like very boring Java classes. Um, mm-hmm. You never really got into actually building anything. So, you know, not a lot of exposure to tech coming up, but um, somehow I found it. And, you know, that's what kind of brought me here today. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about kind of what, what you did in high school. What were your passions? Uh, kind of when you were looking at the world back when you were 16, 17, what did you want to do when you grew up? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I wanted to be a hooper. I feel like, you know, everybody who could dribble a basketball wanted to become a, uh, be in the NBA. So I spent four years playing basketball. Like I said, took a couple of computer science classes, mostly was like English, you know, uh, speaking, writing, those type of things are really my passion. And, you know, as I was going through high school, I was like pretty much a struggling student, very, very intelligent by what they told me. But I was kind of like lackadaisical in the work that I wanted to do. So wasn't the best student at all. Also went through some things where my mom got diagnosed with cancer in my sophomore year. You know, all she asked for was to see me graduate. And, you know, by the end of it, I got to speak at my graduation, which was pretty huge. 
so with that, after I got out of high school, I kind of took a couple years off. I was like kind of going through it while my mom was, uh, you know, after my mom passed and didn't really know what the next step was. And I decided to start a business. And that business was basically what, you know, Google now, the application, mm-hmm. yeah. it basically can tell you everything about your life, right? So we were building this application that will plug into your calendar and then learn about the things that you do on a weekly basis. And when you didn't have something to do, we would know what you like and what your schedule was. So we could suggest things within Mm -hmm. your calendar. I spent like nine months, like being the head of product for that startup, spent a lot of money and a lot of time. And then we just kind of realized that one, the passion for it was, we kind of lost it. We'd been sitting on the product for so long and not Mm -hmm. telling anybody about it for so long. And then when we put it out, we were like, wow, like this isn't what we thought it was going to be. We thought we were going to make a billion the first day. (laughs) It didn't. It It was it was a little bit disheartening. So after then, I decided to learn how to code. I had worked with four developers up until then, and they were writing in Ruby on Rails. And they were like, hey, like, how about you just learn how to do this? So that was my first foray into serious programming. Yeah. And, and how did you meet those developers initially to build that first product? Yeah. So like I said, I was a serial entrepreneur. So when I had started to build this application called Peaked, we brought on a CTO who was doing Ruby. And then he had three other developer friends that basically like worked under him. He was like managing them. So, you know, we worked very closely on the product every single day. And I got to see them just basically type up some what was gibberish at the time and then show something on the screen, show something in the database, right? Which was like magic to me Mm -hmm. until, you know, you realize it's just a language. You're just like directing the computer as to what it needs to do. So I was afforded the opportunity after the venture ended to kind of get some tutoring. They sent me a lot of resources for Ruby. And then I ended up meeting my current co-founder, Bianca, who taught me JavaScript. Awesome. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about those resources that they pointed you to? Yeah, actually, a lot of them are deprecated now. I feel like the things are moving so quickly in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, ed tech when it comes to learning how to code. But there was uh, the Odin Project. I know that's still around. Mm -hmm. That's still around Rails. Uh, Learn Ruby the hard way. That's another one that was uh, pretty good. But I think that, you know, out of all of the resources that I had, the best one was just having a mentor, Mm -hmm. like just having someone there who can get you past like wanting to throw your computer Mm -hmm. and with any new skill. Right. If you went to learn how to, I don't know how you guys do salsa dancing, right? Mm -hmm. I see you you guys, (laughs) you guys are out there in the streets, right? (laughs) Having someone to tell you whether you're doing the steps correctly, having someone to tell you how to direct someone else, right. And like really accelerate your learning is hugely beneficial. So no matter what resource I was using, as long as I had somebody to hit up and be like, hey, like I ran into this problem and they could like quickly get me to think about it in a different way, that was like, that was the best thing that I had. Cool. So what was your motivation for learning how to code? Did you want to become a software engineer or gain the skill set to build your next venture? Well, it was kind of both. I mean, there's no downside to learning how to code uh, Mm -hmm. is what I'm realizing Mm -hmm. more and more. Not only... I'll be honest with you guys, like the real, real. I saw that if you go to a boot camp, you make $105,000 at the end. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, at the end of the day, that was the main motivation, mm-hmm. being able to sell skills to be able to make money. I mean, I think that, you know, my general philosophy is, is, is if everyone had money, we would all be just more free to do the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. And I saw software engineering as a way for me to create freedom for myself. And then I wouldn't have to think like today, do I want to work on my startup or today, do I want to go get brunch, right? I could just do those things. 
So I saw it as a pathway towards freedom. And as I started learning more about programming, I started enjoying it more and wanting to do the profession of coding. But I think, you know, deep, deep down inside, what I always knew was that I was going to become a teacher. I was just going to become an educator. When I was in 11th grade, I had a teacher named Mr. Carton. And like I said, I wasn't the best student. It was in AP English. And he pulls me aside one day and he's like, I just want to let you know, one day you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, first of all, I'm about to be in the league. Uh, <laughs> I might be teaching you how to get these buckets, but you know. But he was like, no, like you have it. You are a teacher. You're somebody who likes to explain things and get your point across, et cetera, et cetera. And as I started to learn how to code and also teach people how to code at the same time, I kind of always knew that I would be either running a school or doing some sort of educational piece. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And so, so given that you had gotten that piece of advice and you're thinking about getting ready to learn how to code, was your mentor the one that told you to either choose between the boot camp or going to college or did you just come to that decision on your own? Yeah. Um, well, so I kind of have a biased opinion on college in general in terms of like return on investment. I could go through all of the different research that I've done. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at how much college costs versus what you get afterwards in terms of your, the investment of the thing you graduate with, it doesn't really stack up to what you get out of a boot camp. And I know it's a small sample size, right? Like $17,000, three months, 105K. It's only really served probably you can think about and within the Hack Reactor Network, at least about 2,000 students, right? College itself usually costs around $100,000 over a four-year period. And the average college student makes about $52,000 coming out, right? So that 100K that you just invested, you know, if you didn't have to pay for taxes, food, an apartment, things like that, it would probably still take you about two years to pay that off. Whereas a boot camp is just, I think, is more bang for your buck. So when I ended up doing the math and ended up doing the research, it just made more sense to me to take a chance on a boot camp, even if they were new and the sample size was low. So yeah, it was kind of a no brainer to me, which I realize is not how everybody thinks about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that you're real with us. He told us, listen, $105,000 after three months sounds like a great deal. I know for me, that was also one of the motivating factors. And on top of it, for our listeners, when you do start your job as a software engineer, you're going to be getting paid to learn more. So like your journey of learning how to code doesn't stop with you getting a job. So it is one of those jobs where you're uh, once you're in, you're basically growing and becoming more experienced. You're learning about all these technologies. And at the same time, you're getting paid pretty well to do so. So I think in terms of career paths, it's definitely one of those that uh, could uh, kind of set you up for a huge successful career. In terms of uh, a question for you, so in terms of deciding which bootcamp you wanted to do, so you mentioned you started learning Ruby. There's a bunch of bootcamps out there that focus on Ruby. And then Hack Reactor does JavaScript. What kind of led you to pick Hack Reactor versus uh, all the other boot camps? Yeah, definitely. So I think I had someone in my corner who was a Hack Reactor grad. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is Bianca. She helped me start Telegraph Academy, actually. It was kind of a full circle moment. But she, you know, when I first looked up boot camps in general, like it was hard to see it actually working. It was hard to see three months, 105K and say, I could actually do that. Mm -hmm. or this is not a scam or something like that. But I had been also working with Bianca who had just graduated and just gotten a job in that range, 
for that amount of money and after that amount of time. So, you know, for me, it was more of a referral thing. I didn't really have any other choice that I was so closely tied to. And, you know, I, some would say I should have done more research and reached out to more people, but, you know, I mean, I feel like it turned out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got into Hack Reactor, you know, what was that experience like? Was it a breeze? Was it, was there anything unexpected? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I also had never really had a professional interview experience in terms of like I had been a personal trainer for a while and then I ended up trying to start a company and then I, I wanted to get into Hack Reactor. So the interview process was scary in the sense that I had no idea what to expect. And I think, you know, a lot of it's funny because at a boot camp will teach you how to not game the system, but get used to interviewing, get used to interviewing for companies. But there should be something that gets you ready for the interview at boot camps because it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. And the thing that really holds you back is not really knowing what's going to be on that test, you know? So when I went in for those interviews, it was very difficult in terms of culture shock, in terms of not really knowing what to expect. But, you know, if you know what you know and you know the language really well, then it doesn't really hold you back. I mean, in fact, I tanked my first interview, like totally tanked. And the person interviewing me, I won't say who, was like, hey, you got to come back in three months. And I was like, no. And she was like, what do you mean <laughs> no? And I was like, I'm not coming back in three months. I'm going to come back next week. Yeah. And she was like, that's not how the interview process works. And I was like, well, this is what I know. Said, <laughs> I know that you guys want people like me at this school. And I know that you guys want want people who are going to hustle and grind to make it in here. So how about we put someone on the interview next week? And I promise you, I'm going to come in here and kill the interview. <laughs> and she was like, well, I've never heard that response before. <laughs> so yeah, how about we do it? So she emailed me a secret interview link. She said, don't tell anybody about this. And the next week I came in and I made it past the interview. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And it sounds like through that initial rejection, you realize what you don't know. And so can you talk a little bit about what you didn't know to prepare to get into those things? Yeah, I think that I didn't know that I had not mastered JavaScript to get into a coding boot camp. A lot of people think that coding boot camps teach you a, a language, but that's not actually true. You have to know a language before you go into a coding boot camp so we can use that to teach you the rest of everything else. So without having a barometer, without having somebody to tell you what the bar is, it's very difficult to feel yourself at that bar. So the system is actually kind of built to have you go in and fail the first time and kind of be humbled by the experience. Like, we're not going to tell you what's on the interview. Come in with your own kind of level of where you think you are. If you make it fine, if you don't, we're not going to reject you. We're going to say you need to work on this, this, and this. So what I would say is, because the interview is changing all the time, and what I didn't know was whether I was ready or not, right? What I didn't know was whether I was a JavaScript master or not. And um, what the interview showed me was, one, outside of like what I didn't know technically was, one, never take no for an answer. And two, that even if you don't know, the great thing about programming is that you'll be able to figure it out at some point. So, Great. That's awesome. So you end up getting your way into Hack Reactor. What was that experience like? It's three months, six days a week. Kind of, was that something you expected kind of going in the intensity level? Yeah. So, I mean, I got in in February to the June cohort and ended up, I had no more money and I ended up actually doing a GoFundMe to raise the 18K. 
I was like super blessed to have people in my life that were willing to, you know, give a good amount of money towards something that had only existed for like a year. Did you start that campaign before or after the interview? After the interview. Wow. I raised in 30 days, I raised $18,000. Awesome. So that was pretty awesome. And to be able to say, because in my first interview video, in my in my GoFundMe video, I'd say, hey, like what I think is that we're in a new industrial revolution, like a technological revolution. And what I want to do is turn around and start a school. And to be able to say that, right, to be able to say that two years later is a huge blessing. So thank so you, everybody. You already said in your GoFundMe video, you already kind of declared your intention of starting a school? Yes. At oh. that point, it was going to be called Develop Yourself, like develop yourself while becoming a developer. I'm a huge advocate for self-improvement mm-hmm. or positive mindset, et cetera, et cetera. I think that all can be looped back into learning how to program and it can be, your programming can actually be used as a conduit for self-improvement, getting frustrated with the process, right? Hitting a bug in your own process, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, fixing an application or fixing your life. Totally. Um, which is why I love Hack Reactor. I mean, Hack Reactor, the philosophy is so in line with what, with how I want to live my life, which is, You hit a bug and all you have to do is research it and figure it out and you'll get to the next thing and you'll get to the next thing. And then the second piece is, you know, you're always going to have another bug. You can always feel like you're at the top of the hill, right? But there's always going to be a new thing for you to conquer. And Hack Reactor is built in that way. It's built as a place where I see it as a three-month vacation, a three-month vacation (laughs) where you can go kind of just code every single day and build a new skill. That's awesome. So... You're about to graduate Hack Reactor, and then kind of what was your, take us back to that moment when you actually decided to start Telegraph Academy. Is that something that you were determined to do right after graduating, or did you consider exploring the job search market, finding a job, finding something more secure? Like, what was your mindset at that, at that moment? So, graduating. I graduated August 27th, 2014 from Hack Reactor. And at that point, I had already been signed on as an HIR. Mm-hmm. So... My, What's an HR? An HR is a hacker in residence. Uh, essentially, it's kind of like a fellowship program. You can stick mm. around for three months at Hack Reactor. They pay you to help build the community, work, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I got the opportunity to stick around and soak up a lot of the culture, soak up a lot of the, you know, the curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, from at that point, I was kind of like, hey, if I'm going to stay here another three months, I might as well kind of learn the tricks of the trade how it all works internally from an employee standard point of view. And I was sold more and more on the bootcamp experience itself outside of just like programming, just like bootcamp as a new educational tool mm-hmm. for people, not only people who are ready in careers and want to transition, but for people who don't have access to those careers, right? Like me, I didn't have a college degree or anything like that. So it was really fascinating to me to see how day in and day out, you know, something that usually takes a year, two years, four years, depending on who you are, got you trained up in three months. So, you know, as I helped from a staff point of view, and we're now helping students get through the program, I kind of learned what it takes to be a mentor, what it takes to be like manage the student experience. Mm -hmm. And from there, I was like, I have to start one of these things. Like, there's no way that I can leave. There's no way that I can go into the industry knowing that this type of opportunity is out there for people who may not be able to have it. Yeah. So it it sounds like you had a great experience at Hack Reactor. You're at this point, you're soaking up the surroundings and you're learning more about how to be a good educator, a mentor. And then you decide to start your own bootcamp. 
So the, at that point, there were already a lot of boot camps out there. What do you think you would do differently? And uh, what problems did you want to solve specifically by starting Telegraph Academy? Yeah. Two weeks before I went to Hack Reactor, this lady named Jessica Gwynn of USA Today published an article about tech diversity stats. And it went through the whole 2%, 1%, like 2% African-American, 1% Hispanic demographics within tech. And at the time, it didn't really affect me in the way that it affects me now or affected me while I was in boot camp. Because not only did I get to read about the context more of lack of diversity, but I got to be and kind of feel the context of lack of diversity. In terms of when I went to Hack Reactor, I was one of two black people and throughout the school, like just in general. So that was really tough. And not having a community that I could, you know, be a part of and be comfortable, like totally comfortable in was difficult. Not that, you know, Hack Reactor wasn't comfortable. Like I loved every minute of it and all of my classmates were awesome. But I think it just kind of goes to show that there are deeper relationships that you have with people who are similar to you. And to not have that was a layer that made the experience just a little bit more difficult than like a typical student. I had to hear things that I didn't want to hear. I had to late shake things off that I didn't want to shake off. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that anybody else who was deterred by the experience because of that, that was a, a lower barrier to entry for them. So I think, I don't know who said this, but say entrepreneurs scratch their own itch, right? And my itch was, that I had made it into tech. I had done everything I needed to do to wield this 100K salary and do the work that I'd been waiting to do, but the itch was still there. And I think that itch was not seeing people like me being able to take advantage of the opportunity. So Telegraph Academy is just a pipeline for people who feel like you know they don't really know whether this is for them, whether it be because of finances, whether it be because of my itch, which was not seeing people like me, whether it be because they have no idea what the hell the difference is between a front end and a back end, right? We want to do is make it accessible. One of the things that I talked about was, you know, the Hack Reactor interview or interviews in general, you don't really know what's going to be on them, right? So one of the things that is a barrier to entry for people like me was not really knowing what's going to be on that test. So we developed a program called Telegraph Prep, which preps you for the test which kind of takes away this black box of not really knowing what you're going into. And I think that if we can, I think that if tech really did that in general, if Silicon Valley did that in general, kind of took away this black box of magic of whatever's going on on a daily basis that's creating these billion dollar companies, yeah. more people would be able to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. And you, not only did you talk about preparing to get into these programs, but you also talked a little bit about financing and how you overcame that with crowdfunding. As you structure this program and you talk about accessibility, what are ways that you laid out your program to make it more accessible from people from every background? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of people, when they ask what's the difference between Hack Reactor and Telegraph Academy, like how are you guys focused on people of color? And most people would probably assume that it's within the three-month program itself that we build it out specifically for people of color and in some way, shape, or form. And we definitely... We definitely tend to that, like in our culture, right? An inclusive culture. Most of the work comes before people come into these doors, meaning the first piece is educational. Our six-week telegraph prep course, which gets you ready for a boot camp, is free for women and people of color. It's usually $1,500. So that's an accessible piece. In six weeks, we'll get you ready for a boot camp, and it's pretty much guaranteed. 
Is it any boot camp or Telegraph Academy? It's any boot camp. Okay. It's any boot camp. I know. And a couple other programs, I won't name names, have like duplicated that program and monetized it pretty well. But we continue to make it free because we want to make sure that people, you know, have it accessible to them. And then we also seek out financing partners that make the price from Telegraph Academy 17725 a lot less, not less expensive, but more accessible for people where they only have to pay a fraction of that up front. And then at the end of the program, when they have a job, start paying the rest back. So there are a lot of avenues that we've explored in terms of bringing market fit to boot camps. Without digressing too much, can you talk a little bit more about like that financing piece? I know like the, how much they have to put down up front to get in and things like that. Yeah, definitely. So our typical financing package is you put up $1,000 up front, you take on a loan that's between 5% and 12%. That loan is then paid as you start paying that loan over 36 months and you start paying that six months after the program ends. We are upheld to make sure that all of our students have jobs within that six months. So more often than not, you will have a job before you start paying it back. So it allows students to not take on the full risk of the course up front. And then the return on investment is amazing. You know, $19,000 over three years is $500 a month. If you're making 105K, that's, you know, it hits your pockets, but not as badly as 17K up front. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the outcomes from Telegraph Academy? Because you guys have been around for, you've probably already had eight or or nine cohorts, right? And how many students in total graduated so far? Yeah. So we have seven cohorts so far. Eight is coming up in Uh July. We have 44 graduates right now. Uh, Same statistics as Hacker after 95 within six months, 85 within three months. They just Mm -hmm. changed their SSOM. And a lot of our students are working at, or it's like a smorgasbord of of different companies in terms of how big or small they are. But we have two at Accenture, one at Google, one at 99designs. We were actually the first boot camp to get a grad into 99designs, which is awesome. And have you guys ever heard of Rockbot? Nope. Rockbot, you ever been to the bar where... um, and there's like a screen where you can actually choose the next song and people can upload oh, yeah. it or download mm-hmm. it. So that's called Rockbot. And our a TGA1 grad is uh, the lead engineer at Rockbot. Very cool. So awesome. I would say that's like, that's a pretty huge accomplishment. for. And, it, and it's there. awesome too, because like, I mean, we grabbed coffee when I first moved here last year and you've already graduated eight cohorts, which is pretty awesome. And how you've rallied everyone around you. Like talk a little bit about the partnerships that you have established that have helped you like get to this point. And also you talked a little bit about the demographics while you were in Hack Reactor, like two black kids and what's the demographics look like at Telegraph? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say just to touch on your first question, which was, or your last question, which is demographics at Telegraph Academy. Right now we have about 60% people, like underrepresented people of color throughout our existence. In terms of our Telegraph prep course, it's actually much higher than that, 75%. I think we've taught over 450 students over the last year there. So like the community is super, super diverse in terms of representation with women and people who are non gender non-binary. It's about 35%, which is still low, but we would like to get that number up to 50-50 as soon as possible. But I think it's higher than most boot camps in general. So in terms of the numbers, we're hitting, we're not hitting the numbers we want to hit, but we're closer than to where we want to be. Your first question, I 
totally. partnerships. Partnership. Yeah. And uh, I remember kind of seeing Telegraph Academy in the news. You got to go to the White House. There's, you spoke at uh, South by Southwest. Tell us a little bit more about your partnerships and kind of the reaction you've gotten from the community in San Francisco and in the United States. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's been kind of crazy because when we became such a new organization, we got like a bunch of press and a bunch of like everybody wanted to see what we were about. That's kind of slowed down since then, but mostly because we've been had our head down kind of grinding. But we got to basically we were built in partnership with Tech Hire, which is the White House's initiative to get more underrepresented people into tech. So the White House backs us. Our partnership with Reactor Core, I think, is like the biggest thing that I can speak to in terms of the resources that we've gotten from them. And that's really the driver between what makes us successful. There's another one called Climb too, correct? Yes. And, um, you know, Reactor Core has allowed us to work with companies like Climb which is our financing partner. And WeFinance.co is another financing partner that's a crowdfunding organization. In terms of like real solid partnerships that we've made since then, you know, we've reached out and we are trying to work with companies actually to develop like an actual pipeline program. Whereas, you know, investing at the beginning of the pipeline in terms of mentorship and at the end of the pipeline in terms of internships and things like that. So you guys will be hearing about that sometime very, very soon. Amazing, amazing. So this is my personal curiosity, but when you were finishing up Hack Reactor and you have this itch inside of you, kind of what made you, can you just take me back to the moment when you said, hey, like tomorrow, I'm not going to be applying for any jobs. I'm going to start this uh, academy. Like what was your next step? Like how did you put this all together? Because this is incredible. Mm -hmm. I think, and thank you. I appreciate that. So I've always been somebody who kind of takes the road less traveled. I think it's an Aries thing, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Ruben could Shout talk out. about that. <laughs> yeah. I always wanted to do like the hard thing and prove people wrong and whatnot. Um, I remember when I was first trying to go to Hack Reactor, I had a lot of family members that actually were like, don't do this. Like, we're not going to donate because we don't think that you should take this path. And it actually motivated me to do it even more. It didn't like deter me. I was just like, okay, for sure. So now when I see him at Thanksgiving, I get to stun on him a little bit. No, yep. I'm joking. I flex, love you guys. But, you know, for me, risk isn't, I guess I could say I'm kind of irrational in the sense that like risk isn't as huge, like taking the risk to start a business or like not have funds coming in wasn't as big to me for mm -hmm. some reason. Cause you know, I haven't really grown up with money in general. So I didn't really need to be raking in hundreds of thousands of dollars to want to take this opportunity. Like I know how to live off for $300 a month if need be, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of thought to myself, if this opportunity is here, I'm going to take it. I think it was also a testament to the people I had around me, meaning Sean from Hack Reactor, Bianca, one of my co-founders, Hack Reactor in general, to say, hey, like this is something that we're also interested in. It was kind of like a no-brainer, kind of like Hack Reactor was. It was kind of like one of those things where if I don't take this, I'm kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how it came to be. That's amazing. Yeah. So do you have any, like, I know you mentioned some things that you have planned for the future. Do you have anything else that you're thinking about or that you would like to see from other people when it comes to this new educational model or any thoughts on education in general that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of different directions that uh, Telegraph Academy can go with it and other people can go with it. I see a lot of great advocates out there changing things from an industry point of view. You know, there's Erica Baker at Slack. There's uh, Joel Emerson, right? Mm -hmm. Like Paradigm. Yeah, Paradigm, like totally killing it on the the 
wanting to change the industry from the inside. I mean, I super admire that because that's something that we need ASAP. I also think that we need more companies that are and organizations that are focused on focused on adults. You know, something that we were talking about before the podcast is I think that, you know, when it comes to this pipeline problem that everybody talks about, like as somebody who runs a school for people of color, I can tell you that there is a pipeline problem. I'm going to say that there is a pipeline problem, but not because of the reasons people think that there's a pipeline problem. There's a pipeline problem because no one has figured out a way to convince people that this is the thing that it needs to be there. And nobody's built a fast way to get people who are qualified into tech and away from other industries that are dying. And I think that if we spent more resources on adults and adult uh, career transitioners, then we would see a lot more success when it comes to moving the needle and diversity in these big companies. Because we can invest in, I love our investment in kids. I love our investment in communities. I think that's five to 10 years down the line. But if you want to move the needle tomorrow, if you want to move the needle in December, right? Put a thousand people through boot camps and hire them at the end. And then you'll see your diversity numbers go up ASAP. So that's something that I would like to see out of people. Something that's fun, I would think, if we had a program for football players who are going through college and just put them through basically like a four-year coding boot camp. And then afterwards, you know, football players are have the lowest graduate rate of all athletes. So, you know, if you put them in something that is manageable, like a coding education that is usually three months, but maybe over four years, right? They can also manage sports and getting a viable career afterwards. So I think there are a lot of cool things we can do with this new educational model because it's flexible and it works. And and a lot of times athletes end up, you know, making a lot of money while they're in the league. And then when they leave, they end up going bankrupt or, you know, they don't have the educational experience that they had growing up to be able to get the job afterwards. And so maybe there's some partnerships that can happen right now while they're in there to lead an initiative with the telegraph or something like that to train. I know Kevin Durant hit me up. There you go. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah, so the next part of the podcast is going to be the lightning round. So we're going to ask you a few questions and uh, try to give us um, short answers, but provide some strategies, tactics, resources that you've used to either start Telegraph Academy, learn how to code, kind of get to the point in life where you are today. So with that said, uh, you guys want to take it away? Sure. So imagine if you were uh, like dropped in a new city and you had to start all over again and you only had $100. What would you do to get to the place you're at now? The first thing I would do if I was in any major city with $100 is become a Lyft or Uber driver (laughs) because they give you a free car and you can make money and learn about your city and you can just sleep in your car until you make enough money to find a place. (laughs) And probably if you work 40 hours a week, you're going to run across engineers, you're going to run across all kinds of people who live in that city and work in that city. So from the networking perspective, it's probably going to be a priceless investment. Exactly. I like that answer. So throughout this process, while you were going through any of your struggles with Telegraph for growing up, was there any piece of music or a movie that you watched that got you into like go mode, like it's hustle time? Yeah. So I, there's a funny story. Maybe this isn't even appropriate. Tell the story. Go for it. Let's hear it. I once faked that I was going to Cal and ended up in a fraternity. (laughs) I didn't actually end up pledging because they realized I didn't go to Cal. (laughs) But they were like, hey, how could we just stay at the house? And so they like, gave me an apartment and like all this awesome. other stuff, right? And before each like 
would like whether it be a party or whether it be they're going to play basketball or like whatever they would put on uh, that Glenn Gary Glenn Ross the oh, yeah. Baldwin the seven always minute like always be closing that gets me pumped yep. like I watch that before every meeting I watch that before every just that seven minutes is golden coffee is for closers exactly only. I got it nice yeah so another question is for someone who is starting out on this journey either learning how to code or um kind of making up their mind on what they want to do next in their career, what one piece of advice you would want them to know now that you've been through this journey? Yeah, I think that the best resource that you can have is a mentor, is somebody who's done it before and somebody who can give you honest feedback about whether you can do it at this point in your life, right? What it takes, you know, it's never as easy as you think it's going to be any venture as you guys know. So having somebody who can make sure that you don't make those same mistakes is awesome. Just find someone who's in your corner. How would you find a mentor? Reaching out. Your network is your net worth, right? I think a lot of people are, here's the thing. When we tell students to create a WeFinance account, right? And ask their community to give them money. They're like, why would anybody ever want to give me money? But, you know, studies show that people want to spend. They want to give their money towards something. And like you guys were talking about in your breaking into startups post, if you have a compelling story, people want to be a part of that. And as long as you can give somebody a real reason why you want to do something, they're going to help you. And if not, then you're going to find somebody else. So I would say just reach out. On that note, I know I'm digressing a little bit, but have you been able to talk to any of the people that contributed to your GoFundMe now that you have started this school with a cohort? Yeah, actually, one of my cousins is the. His name is Brian Tippins. And when I first, he gave me like a good amount of money. He was like, hey, like as a young African-American, I want to see you flourish in tech. What I didn't know is that he is the head of diversity at HP. Wow. We didn't talk about that at the time. <laughs> so I've talked to him many times as a mentor now because he is doing the same type of work just on the opposite end of the pipeline. That's very cool. I also sent t-shirts to everybody who ended up giving to the campaign. And nice. you know, I get messages every once in a while about, People who are like, I can't believe we were talking about this a couple of years ago and now it actually exists. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point is like when somebody helps you out to not forget them and mm-hmm. just like leave them alone, make them feel used like this is a real relationship and making each other feel appreciated is, is important. Exactly. And, and the last thing I'll say is that the best thing that you can do somebody, for somebody is succeed. Like if somebody invests time into you and if mm-hmm. somebody really puts their time on the line, the best thing that you can do is do it and do it right and do it well because they get to say, hey, I was a part of that story. Yeah. yeah. Are there any online resources outside of Telegraph Prep that helps people get prepared that you would say? Yeah, well, I'm not going to endorse anyone else. <laughs> I would say I know that Code Academy is definitely a good one in terms of like just starting and seeing mm-hmm. whether you like this stuff. I would say in terms of getting ready for an interview for a boot camp, at least a JavaScript boot camp, I'd say Reactive X is really good. Learning functional programming. That's something that's awesome. Udemy has a really good course on JavaScript. I mean, obviously, breaking into startups is one of the things that I would put out there. Thank you, thank you. You know, like I said, I think the best thing that you can do is get somebody who's done it before. Because like reading through all of the coding resources I've seen, nobody's been able to articulate it better than an engineer in person. So if you can get somebody who is like invested in you, I think that's the best way to go or one of the best ways to go. Awesome, awesome. So what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, find out more about Telegraph Academy and uh, like any Twitter, email, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So you can get at me at, 
at Albrey Brown, A-L-B-R-E-Y, Brown is in the color, at Telegraph EDU. That's our school, Telegraph Academy. You can go to telegraphacademy.com. If you have any questions, you can hit me on my work email at albrey at telegraphacademy.com. You got a pretty active Twitter game too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on the Twitter. You're going to get these tweets. If you <laughs> Are we going to like hoop sometime? Are you still balling? Uh, if We can also get these buckets. It hit me to come get these buckets as well. We can make that happen. Cool. And, and I know we didn't talk about this in the interview, but are we going to see Telegraph all over the nation or just in Berkeley? Yeah. So I think that the first thing that we want to do is first and foremost is get back to Oakland. Oakland is kind of the blueprint for what I believe is going to be like the new tech ecosystem. And I think that that can be duplicated in Washington, D.C., and Chicago, and Detroit, and New York, like all those places. But first, we want to make sure that we can make it work here. So definitely in, in the future, hopefully 2018. Cool. And it's working. And when we hit your next city, then um, we'll interview you from that office. For sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Thanks for sure. lot, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.